Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. How are you doing this morning? Woo! Awesome. Are you feeling caffeinated? No January blues? Um, How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? All right, five of you. Brilliant. Um, I, my, my new thing is that I don't make New Year's resolutions. So that's my new resolution. Although I will say that a couple of days ago, I, I, I used to do some bouldering, you know, climbing. And I went to this bouldering center just down the road from me. And um, I checked in and I said, look, I haven't been in a while. And the guy started giving me lip. And he was like, it's been a while, buddy. I was, he's, he said, do you know how long it's been? I said, no, 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 I don't know. He said, well, it's been three years. And I said, well, that's a whole global pandemic ago. So I'm finally getting back into it. That's my New Year's resolution to do a little bit more bouldering. Um, anyway, as Ange said, um, Jesse and I have been um, coming to Christchurch London for a few months now. Um, and it's been an amazing journey for us. And um, you guys have been such a welcoming group of people. And uh, speaking on behalf of both of us, um, we really, really appreciate the welcoming spirit, the hospitable spirit in this church. And if you, if you are new today, then, um, you know, this is a great church to be a part of. Part of my history, I used to... Um, I used to be a pastor for um, about a decade, um, as you can tell, the accent. I grew up in New Zealand, moved here about um, 14 years ago now, I think it is. And um, it's, it's, it's been a really cool time to be in London. Our whole family moved to London, so my parents, my brother and my sister. My brother and sister are now in Sydney, Australia, and my parents are probably moving as well. So it's just going to be us, us here. But I, um, I've lived in London for 14 years, so I can call myself a true Londoner. And um, I've been part of a church um, here in London. Well, I was part of a church for a number of years and then sort of explored some other things. I'm now working with World Vision, which is um, a very cool charity if you don't know about them. I'm not going to talk about them at all today, so don't worry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing getting to know um, David and uh, Philippa over the last few months. And they are just uh, the best people. Um, and so we really love them. And so anyway, it's been great to get to uh, know some people here. I'm going to turn to the Bible because that's what you came to hear, didn't you? Not me talk about random stuff. Um, So we've been on this little journey um, through 1 Peter. And it's always quite nice when you do a series in church, isn't it? It's like watching Netflix series, isn't it? You know, one episode builds upon the next and you want to, like, you know, get to the next one. And, you know, you're following a storyline, aren't you? And, you know, this... This week, we're continuing that storyline through 1 Peter, and we're picking up in chapter 2, verses 9. It's up on the screen here. I'd love for us all to read it in just a moment, because it's a collective scripture um, rather than more of an individualistic one. Peter here, I'm sure it's been covered, but let me recap. Peter here is speaking to a scattered group of people. Um, There has been some persecution um, amongst Christians in Jerusalem and within Israel. The Sanhedrin, the uh, Jewish establishment, didn't like what was going on. And so 
Remember with Paul the Apostle who was dramatically converted on the road to Damascus, he initiated some of that persecution which drove a lot of those early Christians out of Jerusalem to the rest of the Roman Empire. And of course Paul went out and others and established these little communities across the Roman Empire. And now across the region of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, um, some of these Christian communities are beginning to experience some level of persecution. They are marginalized, uh, they are alienated from some of their communities, and so there is murmurs starting to come out of these Christian communities. And various leaders write into these specific situations. And, and it's important to understand some sort of context because there's a reason why this letter was written. There's a background story, and that's some, just a very brief synopsis of why perhaps this, this letter was written. And so Peter is addressing a situation here. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 9. This is the end of the first section or the first introductory comments of the letter. Why don't you read it together with me? It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The title of the talk today, if you're writing notes, and someone once said that 80% of people who write notes in church go to heaven. I don't know what happens to their 20%, and I don't know who they are. But if you are happen, be happen to write notes today, you can entitle this talk, We Are Called. That's what we're talking about today. We are called. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. We know that the lights won't change us. We know the band won't change us. We know that this preacher won't change us. But Lord, you can change anybody. And Holy Spirit, we know that you are present here today. And so we thank you for that. And we pray that you would be amongst us and speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. As I said, in 2007, our family made the very audacious decision to move from New Zealand, hobbits and stuff, to the United Kingdom, to London of all places. And one of the things that I noticed when I moved to London was the cultural nuances, the differences in culture. I mean, in Western culture, we sort of think that we're all kind of the same, aren't we? I mean, we kind of really all are, but there are some certain differences when you go to different places. Now, this is what you need to know about Kiwi culture this morning. There is a sense of naive optimism that pervades the culture. Okay, number eight wire, I don't know if you've heard of this stuff, but it's, it's, it's prized in New Zealand. It's like this really thick wire that people use to do anything. And they'll be like, right, mate, you can fix your, fix your fence, you can fix your car battery, you got emotional problems, number eight wire will do you some good. This is, this is how they approach life, a very practical sense of naive kind of optimism. So if your life is, is uh, not going so good, um, a Kiwi might say to you, come on, pull up your bootstraps, you'll be all right. You know, 
you'll be fine, you'll be all right. And when I noticed that I came to, when I came to the United Kingdom, I noticed that it wasn't necessarily the culture. Don't hate me. What I found <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that, um, is that British people, and anyone who's foreign here will understand what exactly what I'm saying when I say this. British people are renowned for being indirect in the things that they say. Am I speaking truth this morning? <laughs> in other words, being polite is of far more importance than being understood. For instance, we all know this, if you hear somebody say, I'll bear that in mind. I initially thought, they're taking into consideration what I'm saying. And they will probably act on it. But little did I know, they had no intention whatsoever to act on it. They were simply being polite. You are agreeing with me, aren't you, this morning? Another one. That's not bad. Which is a very strange way of saying, that's really good. How was your week? Not bad. Thinking... Was it good? Was it bad? It was actually really good. I've now adopted this saying when everyone says to me, how was your week? Not bad. Meaning, yeah, it was pretty good. Strange, isn't it? Another one, last one. This is a classic. You must come for dinner. When I first heard this, I was like, okay, great. I'm expecting the invitation, the post, the text message, the email crickets. Nothing. Because there was no intention to invite me to dinner. It was simply just a way of being polite. <laughs> of course, our, our friends across the pond have their cultural nuances as well, don't they? I spent some time in America um, a few years ago, and uh, they are known for being direct in conversation, aren't they? But not always accurate kind of stretch the truth a little bit, don't they? Sometimes. I'm sure you would all agree that there are cultural nuances amongst all of our different cultures. We experience mixed messages, but there are some things that transcend all cultures. Has anyone seen Mean Girls? A few people in the room. Mean Girls was a very famous film that came out a number of years ago, okay? And uh, it was depicting sort of the labeling, cliquey culture of high school, particularly in America, but transcendent of America. So you, you, you would experience it anywhere in the world. You had Katie, who was sort of the main character. She walked in, she has this famous scene that she walks into the cafeteria and the narrative comes over in the voiceover and... It shows the whole cafeteria. There were the geeks in one corner. There were the jocks in one. There were the punks in another. And then there were the mean girls right in the middle. And Katie was sort of on the outside with the misfits trying to figure out where she belonged. In this film, people were categorized by labels. These labeled... Critiques, cliques, though, I should say, 
transcend all cultures and all generations. At any moment in any culture, you could notice and experience these labelled these labelled cliques. Certainly, I experienced them in New Zealand. Maybe you've experienced them here in the United Kingdom or wherever you have come from today. If you have ever experienced a label of some kind, whether it was the the geek or the jock or the mean girl, or the or the you're not so good at school or or, or you're one of those weird Christian type of people. If you've ever experienced a label of any kind, then you can connect to the narrative of 1 Peter today. Because we are dealing with the people here who feel labeled. These were a group of people who were marginalized. They were being squeezed out of their communities. Why? Not because they were Roman citizens, not because they were Jews, but because they were Christians. They were suffering socioeconomic consequences, consequences of respect and their honor because of their faith. And so Peter seeks to address this issue. He seeks to address this scenario in which these churches find themselves, you feel labeled like an alien. In fact, he opens his letter by saying, to the scattered exiles, those aliens, those strangers, that's how they were viewed. That's how they were being labeled. And here in this passage right here, in, two, in chapter 2, verses 9, Paul, Peter rather, seeks to affirm their new identity in Christ. And he offers them up four big ideas as to who they are, not only individualistically, but collectively as a people. And I love how Peter does it here because what you'll notice is that he draws on Old Testament metaphors. He draws on Exodus and Jeremiah And in doing so, he pulls these Christian communities into the grand and transcendent story of God, which has gone before them and will continue to go after them. And I hope that as we get into some of these things today, we're not going to get super in detail because we don't have time. But as we just move through them, I hope that you too get a sense where you were drawn up into the transcendent story of God, which is stretched out across time from beginning and will continue to the end. So firstly, this is what Peter says to his hearers. He says, I want you to know that you are a chosen people. He calls his hearers scatters, scattered exiles, foreigners. As I've said, perhaps they felt rejected from their communities And then he builds the tension of this by calling them chosen. You're not rejected. You've been chosen by God. Now, this language is borrowed from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in particular, chapter 43. The context here is that Israel is exiled in Babylon. They are scattered. They, too, are scattered, exiled foreigners. But God here in this scripture, through his prophet Isaiah, reminds them that they are not forgotten. In fact, he uses intimate language to them to signal to Israel that they're not rejected. He says, forget the former things. See, I'm about to do a new thing. I am about to bring you out of your exile back into the land that I promised you. 
And I'm not going to do it through the waters like I did with Moses and the Israelites. But I am going to make a way through the desert. I'm going to cause water to come up. I will provide for you my chosen called out people I will provide for you in the most dry and arid places you were not forgotten you were not rejected God is reminding his people Peter was reminding his hearers that they are not exiled aliens strangers in a foreign land but they are indeed even in the midst of that chosen called out by God with his very fingerprint on them. The second thing that he reminds them of or that he affirms them in is that they are a royal priesthood. Obviously, in the United Kingdom here, we have a monarchy, a a royal family, and obviously people have differing views about, about the monarchy because, I think, one of the things that we all understand about the monarchy is that it exceeds our natural ability. In other words, royalty cannot be earned, it cannot be deserved, it cannot be paid for by any amount of money, it can only be inherited. Royalty in the natural sense for you and I in the United Kingdom is utterly unattainable. It would have felt the same way for those in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago in those scattered communities. It would have felt the same for those in... in, uh, in, in ancient Israel with their kings and their priests. However, this is not the case with the gospel. The gospel is the great leveler. It invites the famous and the nameless into a mutual share of Christ the King. In fact, in the earlier chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us that through the new birth, Jesus gives us an inheritance that will never spoil, fade, or perish. Paul points out in his letter to the Romans that God has adopted us as his own children. And because we are adopted, we have become co-heirs and we share in his glory. In another place, Paul, I think in Ephesians, says that Christ stands first in the line of humanity restored. We had, in other words, we've been grafted into a new line where we have a share in Christ's inheritance. We have a share in his glory. And so Peter dares to say to this community of slaves and free men and rich and poor, he says to this community, it's this eclectic community, you are a royal priesthood. He draws this language out of Exodus 19, word priesthood here. When the Israelites had been brought out of Egypt and they were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, Sinai, they'd been given the Ten Commandments and they were instructed to set up a tent of meeting. And And they were also instructed to set up priests. And so Aaron took on that responsibility. Aaron and his sons, they sacrificed uh, for the sins of the people on behalf, on, the behalf, on behalf of the people, and they would go into the meeting place and they would mediate, wouldn't they, between God and man. But the scripture tells us that God has become our true high priest. It's rather Jesus has become our true high priest. And the distance between us and God has been, has, has been taken away. That curtain that separated man from God. 
And so in Christ, we have become his priesthood, meaning that we have access to God, not in the clerical sense that we have um, things to perform, but rather that we have access to God like we never could have before. So Peter says, you are this royal priesthood. The writer of Hebrews says, because Christ is our high priest, because he himself mediates between God and you, come boldly, come confidently to the throne of grace in your time of need. We have access to God. This is what Peter would say to us today. You are a royal priesthood. Thirdly, moving on very swiftly, Peter says, you are a holy nation. Peter also takes this language directly from Exodus chapter 19, where the Israelites are stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they hear from God through Moses. Now, in the Old Testament, this invitation to be a holy nation was given exclusively to the nation of Israel. But their instruction was to obey the law. And in doing so, they would stand out amongst the other nations with this distinctive moral quality that would bear witness to the goodness of God. And so God was setting them apart so that they might bear witness to what God did through them and draw all other nations to God. And so Peter uses this language to describe the nature of the church. But he is now not just speaking exclusively to the Jewish community. He is including slaves, free men, Gentiles, women, men. In fact, Paul says it like this to the first, uh, in his first letter to the Galatians. He says, there is, neither now, there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, Slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ. I know this is going to be a pretty poor example, but I'm going to use it anyway. One of the things that I really like about Australian culture, and there's not much I really do like about Australian culture. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm messing around. We always love to, you know, drive with our Australian friends. Um, but one of the things I quite like about Australian culture is that it doesn't matter where you are from whether you, your heritage is Indian, Southeast Asian, African, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you are born in that country and you have an Australian accent, you're as Australian as anybody else in that country. And I know that's kind of a poor man's analogy to use against the Bible, <laughs> but I'm trying to help you understand that we are born into this new kingdom and the gospel is this great leveler where God goes, you're all one in Christ. The gospel breaks down racial, ethnic, cultural, and socioeconomic divides, and it unites us all in Christ. We all have this mutual share in him because he is our king. So Peter says to this people, you are a holy nation. He says to us today, you're a holy nation. Lastly, he says this, you are God's own special possession. Sometimes I like shopping in vintage shops every now and again. Yeah, and not like super often because they smell a lot and 
and, and it's a bit hit and miss. But every now and again, you can pick up something really, really good. And the gold in vintage shops is finding those unique items that nobody else has. And those unique items perhaps are more expensive because there is only one of them. For instance, the Mona Lisa. There's only one Mona Lisa. Perhaps that's one of the reasons it's so very expensive and you know, perhaps that's why NFTs are so expensive as well because apparently there's only non-fungible. Is that one of them? Yeah. God calls us his own special possession. Why did I say all that? Because special refers to that which is not usual or common. It refers to that which is unique, that which is treasured. The Bible tells us that, that God purchased us with the blood of his own son. Perhaps this is why we mean so very much to him. Perhaps this is why he refers to us as his bride. Perhaps this is why he refers to us so intimately. Because he purchased us. He bought us. We belong to him. We, as a community, as a group of people, not just here, but all around London today, and all over the world, belong to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, Peter ends this affirming, honoring spiel by saying this. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why. God affirms us in these ways so that we might be distinct within the world in which we live. We, as a called out people, might bear witness to the goodness of God, that he would consider us a royal priesthood, a chosen people, his very own possession. We might bear witness to this goodness. This is founded in the very essence of what the church is, Peter is referring to the calling out. He has very real personal experience in this. He's referring to his experience with Jesus in front of the rock, where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Jesus speaks up and he says, you're the son of God. And Jesus commends Peter and he says, well done. And upon this rock, upon the revelation that I am the son of God, I will build my church. It is the first time that Jesus uses the word church in the Bible. It is the Greek word ecclesia, which literally means the gathering of the called out ones. We are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And we bear witness to this in the world. Maybe the team could come and join me as we close this sermon. You might be thinking, that's really cute, Simon. But I'm not sure if I really feel it. I wonder if Peter's hearers felt the same way. Have you ever felt like an imposter syndrome before? I remember about 10 years ago, when I first became a pastor, if that's a thing, or I was at least given the title of pastor, it felt really strange. 
it felt like I was wearing a coat that didn't quite fit. You mean me? A pastor? If they only knew, if they only knew who I was, if they only knew what I had done, if they really knew me, then, then they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be calling me pastor. I felt this sense of imposter syndrome. And maybe, maybe you feel that too today. Maybe you feel the sense of imposter syndrome. Royal priesthood, holy nation, I don't know. I'm not sure if I buy it. That's not me. If they only knew me, if they only knew what I did last weekend. The amazing thing about all of this is that Peter anchors his claims about who the church is, about who you are, in the grace and mercy of God. He opens his letter by saying, grace and peace be to you in abundance. He closes his letter by saying, I've written all of these things to you so that you may know the true grace of God. So he bookmarks, or rather he bookends his claims with the grace of God. And then after all of these amazing titles that he bestows upon the church, he says this. Once you were not a people, you had no identity, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These words are taken from the book of Hosea. And Hosea is perhaps the most scandalous story of God's grace in the Old Testament. God speaks to a prophet in northern Israel. And he says, I want you to go and take a prostitute for your wife. Hosea somehow obeys and takes a prostitute called Goma for his wife. He has a few years with her, has a couple of kids. And God says, I want you to call your first child not my people. And I want you to call your second child not loved. Representing how God felt about his people at that very time. And then Goma has a change of heart and she decides this whole deal, marriage is not for me. So she goes to her former way of life. She goes back to the brothel and the word of the Lord comes to Hosea and says, go and find your wife. And so Hosea marches down to the brothel and sees his wife on the selling block about to be bid, auctioned rather, to the highest bidder. And so Hosea gets in line and he makes his bid and he's, he's, he's bidding against other customers to essentially buy back that which is already his. And so Hosea wins the bid. He makes his purchase and he buys back his wife. And then the word of the Lord comes upon Hosea and he begins to prophesy about the last days. And he says, he, he prophesies that through, his, through the descendant David, the descendant David, people in the last days will stand in awe of the goodness of God. And this is the story in which Peter is anchoring these claims. He's saying to his Gentile and Jewish readers, 
These affirmations of identity are not based in your worthiness. They are based and anchored on the unmerited favour of God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession. Why don't you stand with me and close your eyes and let me pray as we sing before we close this morning's service. Heavenly Father, today we're so mindful of your son Jesus. The gift of Jesus. That through his life, his death, his resurrection, Father, today we can experience new life. Father, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for your unmerited favor, your smile towards us today. We thank you that you would affirm us in who we are. We thank you that we have become a people. We have something to belong to. We know who we are because we know whose we are. And so, Lord, for anyone struggling today with their own sense of identity, I ask that you would reveal yourself powerfully to them. And that in doing so, you would encourage them. You would draw them unto yourself, Lord. And affirm who you are and ultimately who they are. God, we thank you for all you're doing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together this last song.